wasn't going to open with and we are live today but melissa in chat said that she came here just to hear me say it so there you go melissa just for you anyway today is monday october the 31st right this is the uh hall hallows eve man it's halloween not what we're going to talk about though but if you uh if you want to go get a blast from the past you can go uh, to the survivalpodcast.com and you can search on our search box and look for Zombie Apocalypse, and we did like a uh, like a B movie version years and years ago of a Zombie Apocalypse Uprising uh, for a Halloween special. If you've never heard it, it's pretty funny. It's only about twenty minutes long. Uh, it was actually constructed a lot with uh, help from the audience. I've thought about doing a better version of it with longer timelines for people to send things in. We just never have. So, what will we talk about today? Well, today we are going to talk about building a business. And I don't know that I've ever talked about it from this specific angle before. We're going to talk about building a business being hard and why that should be the case. And we're going to talk about the concept of how, like one of the things that really overpowers this is something called irrational exuberance. And we're going to redefine that because usually it's defined as, you know, investors just being stupid with their money. I, I mean it in a different way. You can have a phrase mean more than one thing, depending on the context it's used. So we will be talking about that today, guys. And uh, I'm going to try to balance today with being motivational, like I usually am, but being like hardcore honest with you about how hard things can be. And what I'm going to open up the show with is going to seem like, well, what, 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 what does that have to do with anything? I'm going to tell you why I tell people when they're getting ready to go keto or carnivore about something called keto flu and how that relates to this subject and not sabotaging yourself, not quitting, not snatching victory for defeat from the jaws of victory. Because I think a lot of people do when they have the wrong idea about what it takes to build a business. Now, Today, we uh, need to remind you, though, as I always do, I will never contact you for any personal information or private chat, et cetera, in the video comments. Just because you see my logo does not mean it's me. I'm not DMing you on Instagram. I'm not giving you special backdoor access to my WhatsApp. I don't even have WhatsApp. Uh, I just checked today on Instagram. I have a ton of messages from people, DMs. I don't even answer them. Uh, I do answer DMs on Twitter. I seldom initiate them unless you're somebody like, I want you on the show. So just assume that if you want to talk to me, you need to use email. And people say, what's your email address? And the answer to that is, I'm sorry, but if you can't figure out my email address, you don't need to be emailing me. I know that makes me sound like a dick, but I have the most public email address on the planet. And I figure people that can't figure it out uh, do not qualify for my time, given that I answer personally a good two to 300 emails a day. Uh, just small, quick ones many times from audience members. So that's one of my filtering mechanisms. you got to figure out how to email Jack, who runs the survivalpodcast.com, all by yourself. Anyway, before we get into this today, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsor of the day. Time is running out on Paul Wheaton's Kickstarter, so I'm giving him the Monday uh, treatment, I guess you would say, and bringing him out on the Mondays. 
Uh, Paul Wheaton has this awesome new Kickstarter. We did a whole show on it last week. Uh, parts of the show were about it anyway. It's a Garden Master course Kickstarter. He keeps adding more and more uh, stretch goals. And I wanted to talk to you about one of them. Uh, Alan Booker is going to be doing a webinar through Hermes.com. Now, unfortunately, because uh, no one can give me a yes or no answer to a yes or no question this morning over at Permies, I can't confirm yet. If you get this uh, included in your, your Kickstarter, will you have access to like a recorded version of it, at least for a time, because it's going to be a live webinar and the date hasn't been uh, announced yet. But this webinar is going to sell for 50 bucks. They're adding it for anybody who's done at least $100 in the Kickstarter, which means this thing's worth like over 350 bucks now as a $100 backer. And I say that's without the course. I don't know. They weren't real clear on that either. But I think if I did the math there, I'd get up to like 350 bucks easy worth of extra goodies. And so this is going to be a webinar on breeding locally adapted resilient plants with epigenetics and seed saving. Guys, I'm as stoked about this as I am the Kickstarter itself. I really am. So if you haven't backed Paul's Kickstarter yet, consider doing it. If you want to know more about it, there's a link in the video notes there. Uh, I, I, again, the Alan Booker thing, that dude's awesome. And I really can't wait. I, I really can't wait for that as well as the course itself. And Paul's a good dude. And, uh, we did a lot in that episode about business as well, not just permaculture. And that prompted people to actually start asking a question. Will Jack do another show on building businesses again? And I decided that would be really a, a, a great thing to do because we haven't gone deep into this subject for a while. And I wanted to come at this a little bit different. And, and, and not just see John Willis is here. It's not just the John Willis thing of like, you're not working hard enough. Sleep faster, dumbass. You got to work harder, right? That's part of it. But you know what gets you through that? understanding how hard it is and understanding it's worth it and understanding it's supposed to be hard. So we're definitely going to come at this today from the fact that building a business is hard. It's supposed to be hard and it's good that it's hard. And it almost like not literally almost by the time I've done it, you're going to understand why it wouldn't even be worth building a business if building a business was easy to do. It really would. It wouldn't be worth. I know it seems crazy, but it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be worth it at all. Uh, real quick, though, I want to let you guys know we have had come out today our fan picks and clips of the week ending 10-30-22. These are all clips that you guys made on the Fountain app. There's about 18 videos in this week's tips and clips. Uh, you can find it at the survivalpodcast.com. If you look way up here, if you're on the video, you can see I've even added category now where you can see all the picks and clips that we've done right now. That's only two weeks. But if you want to participate in this, go check it out. Read the write-up on the program itself if you haven't already, because every single person who I've used a tip, a, a clip from this week got from me at least 75 sacks by me liking their clip. So if you if you made a clip and it didn't make it in, it might not be that there was anything wrong with it. It might have been too short. I'm not big on including clips that are like 35-second clips. Uh, I'm more on like the two to five minutes. Everything's explained in the write-up. Uh, but it's a great way to get some sats because it's not just me. I've seen some of the clips this week. You know, they've gotten over 500 sats from other people who are following them, I guess, or seeing those clips and liking them. So uh, let's let's keep pushing that. And we will ban. Nobody comment for just a second so I can block this user. we got to 
dating site already spamming our live stream. All right, so let's dig into this and start out with, well, Jack, why are you going to come? Like, I have been the guy shouting since I started this podcast in 2008, 14 and a half years ago. Build a business, build a business, build a business. And saying, not everybody will, but anybody can. And it's the greatest thing in the world that you can do for freedom and independence in your life. It's the best survival step there is to take, is to become a successful entrepreneur, to develop multiple streams of income. It's actually one of the most, the, the things you can do to be the most resilient people on the planet. It really is. And then today I'm going to come out with, hey, it's really freaking hard. Well, why? Let's, let's just shift for just a second. Let's just shift for just a second to the keto diet and the fact that my wife gets mad at me whenever we talk about it to people in public. And she gets mad at me because I literally lead off with, you're probably going to get, especially when people are really overweight and I know there's, they have a ton of toxins stored up in their body. I'm like, you're, you're probably going to get keto flu and it's probably going to suck. And it's probably going to suck for two or three weeks. But once you get through it, your life will be better forever. And my wife's like, you're demotivating them. And I'm like, no, here's the thing. Because I've seen so much of this, this happen in not just keto, but other places. A person is told, here is a solution to your problem. And their problem is X. It doesn't matter what it is. We'll just call it X as a variable. And so what they should end up with over time is X minus Y, right? And Y should keep getting bigger until X goes to zero, If it's, if the problem isn't so severe or hasn't gone on so long, but I should at least get a negative. X minus Y equals new state of problem. And hopefully we get to a zero. The problem is that in that algebra, a lot of times it's X plus Y and then later minus Y. So the, the, the things that are bothering you, let's say if you're going on a diet, they actually get harder and they suck and it can be painful. Because, you know, well, you are a carbohydrate addict and you took away the thing you're addicted to. You go ask a heroin addict how he feels when you take away his heroin. Now, nobody would say, well, since you feel bad, you should go back to taking heroin. Additionally, you start dumping all of these toxins from your body that are stored in fat cells. They'll start to go through your body, course through your body. I, I, I've mentioned this before. I got like these big pimples that were almost like little boils when I first started doing it. I had a guy today ask me about gout. And I said, you know, I, I got gout when I did keto. I didn't have gout. This guy already has gout. But I'm like, my guess is your gout will get worse and then it will go away. Because I got gout when I started dumping all this weight. Because I was dumping all these toxins, including things like uric acid, which is what causes gout. And so now I eat almost 100% meat and I, I don't ever have gout flare up. But I did during that period of time. So it got worse before it got better. So what happens when you don't tell somebody, hey, this is a solution to your problem, but when you do it, it's going to be really hard, it's going to hurt, you're going to have to suffer through it, and they expect everything to get better. And then when they begin to go through it, it hurts. Well, they say, I must suck at this, or this must be the wrong solution, and they quit. And they they snap, often, defeat from the jaws of victory. That person, especially with a business, can be 30 days from a full breakout. But they're looking at everything and going, it must be me, or maybe I picked the wrong whatever, or whatever it is, and they give up, right? They give up. 
So on the Kickstarter, somebody's bringing this up right now on the hand of the Barking Turtle says the Kickstarter says watch for years and years. Yes, that's for the Garden Master course. The stretch goal, specifically the Alan Booker thing, I have not gotten a straight answer on yet, so I'm not going to give you one. I will tell you this, since I'm well over the $100 limit on it, uh, and I'm going to get everything, I am, I don't, unless somebody's getting married or dying or something at the time that webinar goes live, I'm not going to miss it. Right. So anyway, um, again, I have not gotten an answer to that specific stretch goal. Of course, the other, the, the, the garden master course should be able to watch that for years and years, just like that. Anyway, so moving back into this, and that's like the last aside I'm going to do. I want to talk about why I've not been maybe as in your face as I'm going to be today with how hard it can be. And it's because there is a thing called irrational exuberance. Now, when we talk about exact irrational exuberance, that's one of those is an investment term. It's like a stock market is going crazy. It's made all time high after all time high week after week for 10 weeks. You know, a correction is coming, but people for a while just keep throwing money. In, right. They just keep, Throwing money at it, throwing because man, I don't want to miss out. It's going to go up forever. And of course, all markets have volatility, and that means what goes up will come down. Even if something goes up forever in the moving average, it's going to have peaks and valleys. So that's what they mean when they say irrational exuberance. But those are two perfectly good words that can be strung together as a phrase to describe more than just investment. And in business, irrational exuberance is being so motivated that you ignore anything that would get in your way and just do shit anyway until such time as you figure out what works for you. And this is the thing that has gotten more people successful, especially in businesses for the last 10 to 15 years, where so many businesses today are content-based business, even if they're not businesses that directly monetize content. So I was, uh, I was saying recently, you know, Nicole Sauce, she does monetize her podcast to a degree, but her primary bu business being that she's a coffee roaster and she sells an awful lot of coffee because she has a successful podcast. Uh, a great content producer is with us today. I don't know if he's still here, but he, he's, he checked in by comment. John Willis from SOE Tactical Gear. John Willis is an incredible content based business person. But yet he's, his primary money flow, cash flow comes from tactical equipment, t-shirts and gummy bears, right? Like it's, a, he's actually a product business, but the content drives so much of his business, even though he does monetize content. So in a world where you can monetize content directly or indirectly, irrational exuberance plays a bigger role than ever. Where if a person goes out there and they just keep pounding it, They will probably figure out how to get a thousand or two thousand people who really love them to latch onto them over time. Now, the other side of that is it, it can fail. And we'll talk about failing on the hard side here in a second. But the reality with this irrational exuberance, so this is the motivational part before the ball kicking that's coming, is there's so many ways to succeed if you just don't quit and you just keep working and you just keep chiseling away Odds are over time, if you, if you're smart enough to accept the feedback that's saying this isn't working, you need to do something different, you will probably find a path to success. Depending on what success means to you. A lot of people, if they can make five grand a month 
$60,000 a year. They can live on that and they can be happy and they don't give a shit. Especially if they live in a, if you're doing a content driven business or something like that, and I'm talking 60 profit, actual money in hand after expenses are paid. You know, if they have a house that's paid for or low cost or something like that, they live in an area where they're practicing geographic arbitrage, they're good. And there's people that like go, dude, I, I can make more than 60 grand a year driving a truck for Walmart. That's not enough. So we have to set our own goals and agendas. But what happens is with irrational exuberance and, and, and having that extra thing inside of you, that warrior heart, you find a way. Okay. Um, and when you're really seeking success, one of the really great things that happens is you grab every accomplishment and you pull it in and you make something out of it, even if it's meaningless. And this goes back to one of my old sales mentors, a gentleman named Forrest Baker. And he said, and I was a young salesperson at the time. He said, the thing about sales is you get really excited over piddly little shit and you get really depressed over piddly little shit. Like you, you get a deal for a couple thousand bucks and you're selling computer hardware. That's what I was selling at the time. And you, you need, you're looking for orders that are like half a million dollars in product and up. You're excited over a $2,500 order, but you're excited about it because you sold it to Lucent and what it could mean. Or you fail to close that same $2,500 deal. It will not change your life and you get depressed. But what he said is you should just throw away all the depressing little shit and pretend it never happened, but never let go about the shit that makes you excited. When you're building a business from the ground up and you get a, a little mention in the local paper that doesn't do anything, you still like, yes. And this drives this desire to be harder, to get up earlier, to do what John Willis says, to sleep faster, right? Like it, it drives it so hard and it's inevitable that you're pursuing a passion, which I think all businesses that are successful, especially when you're talking about one person deciding today or tomorrow or next week or last month, I'm going to build a freaking business and I'm going to get my ass out of working for the man. They are all passion based. Now, people will say like, well, this person has a business, you know, selling widgets. They don't give a shit about widgets. No, but they, they're passionate about making their widget business successful. And you will not go into a world of irrational exuberance of building a business without passion. It's impossible because the first time you get one kick in the balls and life will give them to you. You'll have your podcast starting to really get traction, right? You'll, you'll, you'll actually start to monetize it. You'll, you'll have walked away from your corporate life. You're not making the money you were, but it's enough. And you know, you can build it beyond what it was and everything's going great. And you're cooking chicken at seven o'clock at night. And your web host decides unlimited doesn't mean unlimited anymore because you just got four terabytes of bandwidth in, a, in download over the last week. And they shut your entire business off and you end up till like 2.30 in the morning to get your shit turned back on and buy yourself 30 days to migrate off of their shitty service. How do I know that happens? How do? Because it was me. I was still living in Arlington. It was before I even moved to Arkansas. I had just taken the business full time that winter. We were in like end of March. I'm having a great evening, drinking a beer, cooking chicken on the little Outback grill. And that exact, that exact thing happened. And I'm going, this is my livelihood now. And you just shut me off. Not because I said bad thoughts or anything, but because, hey, dude, we said unlimited, but we didn't really mean it. And so stuff like that's always going to happen. But when you're passionate, you find the path to solution. So this is the hard side. 
of the irrational exuberance. This is where we're going to start getting with all of the misery that comes. Every loss and failure will cut you to the bone if you don't immunize yourself out of the gate. So when you start building something like this and somebody you respect says, well, that's stupid, right? Somebody like when it's some random person online, it hurts too for some people. I, my fit, my skin is like, I got like friggin' elephant skin for that. Like whatever, dude, go away. Don't bother me. But you know, any of us, when it's like an uncle that we really ex- respect or something, and maybe they're not that blunt, but a lot of times what is said is not what is heard. Anybody's ever had an argument with a spouse knows that happens, right? Like, you said I'm terrible. I don't think that word ever came out of my mouth. Yes, you did. You said that, and that means this, and this means, whoa, 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 stop, right? We've all been there. Well, this happens to people. They start playing the shit in their head. And all of a sudden, these little piddly things, like I said, all the little piddly good things are huge. But the little piddly bad things start to derail you. And then people spend more time worried about those bad things than all the good things. When I first started the show, I started to look at all of these reviews come in on, like, Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. And they were, like, 95% great reviews. And, like, 5% of reviews were like, this guy sucks. He has no business having a podcast. He's a terrible broadcast. And it was like, I actually started to read those, and I went, wait a minute, what the are you doing? Wait, you got 95% of your people that follow you completely happy with what you're doing. Why are you worrying about this 5% of people who are mad because you said something on a given day that they didn't like? Every second that you spend in that world, you are fucking over your people who believe in you. You're screwing your good customers when you spend one second with a bad customer. When you have a truly bad customer, a truly bad follower, they are to be terminated with prejudice. And I'm talking about firing. I'm not talking about hitting them in the head with a hammer, okay? I'm talking about, look, you, here's your money back. Go, go F off elsewhere sideways with a, with a cheese grater. I don't have time for you because every second that I give you my time and attention is coming away from a good customer that I could be making new content for, building new product for, doing customer service for, Bye bye Now, when it's somebody that's reviewing your shit, that's not even a, they're not even a bad customer, there's a useless follower, you know what? Everything counts for algorithms. Let it be what it is. Ban their ass if they become a chronic problem and move on with your life. But if you don't understand that, this will cut you hard. It also leaves a tremendous amount of room for self-doubt because it's all on you. So if you are building a business and you've been doing it for like six months and you have like 200 people that even pay attention to your YouTube channel, say it's a YouTube-based business, it is very easy at that point to say, well, I, I, mu- I must be terrible. Uh, other people do it. And you don't realize that a lot of those other people, that they were right where you are at some time. Or that maybe they were doing it before YouTube decided that whatever you're talking about, they don't want people to hear. Or maybe you are not executing right. Maybe you are not. Maybe all you thought you were going to do is start making YouTube videos and it would just take off. And you're not using any peripheral marketing to bring people into the tribe. You're looking for the well to give you water and you haven't primed the pump. But all of these things are fixable. And maybe you do need a directional change. But if you if you let self-doubt come in, then you'll just quit. Well, I tried. 
You know what? No one gives two shits that you tried. Your mama doesn't care that you tried. And, and the, the, the following you could have built or the product you could have built or the brand that you could have built definitely doesn't care if your mama doesn't care. So unless you're willing to just accept the fact that it's going to be hard, it's going to suck, you're going to work really hard and it's not going to be there, and then you're going to have to balance this with an honest assessment. right? I've seen people that they just keep plowing and keep plowing, but they're plowing wrong. And when you try to offer them advice, they don't want to hear it. And I'm not talking about criticism. I'm talking about advice. You're like, and you're like, okay, fine. I, I, you know, I get asked for advice all the time and I don't give it because I don't have time. And I'm going out of my way to try to help you because I see your, your ethic here. And so you have to balance this dog headed, I will not quit, you know, ethic that's in you with, well, if it really isn't working at all, is it just because I haven't put enough time in yet? Or do I need to change the way I'm doing this? And often it's a little bit of both. Often it's a little bit of both. Um, and you need to realize when you're looking at some, if you look at me and you say, well, Jack, all you do is tell people to go screw on social media, put your shit out. You don't spend hardly any money on advertising and marketing. Yeah. That's because I have a major brand that I've built across time and it probably would be better if I still did, but I don't. Because I'm happy with the size things are. The show continues to grow at a, at, at a moderate rate. I actually don't want to be as big as some of these people that get these huge targets on the back of their head. I like being in the space that I'm in. But don't think that's all I did in the beginning. I did Google AdWords. I did a thing called uh, StumbleUpon. I, I had tons of different ways that I advertised. I worked hard to get into mainstream media and get articles written about me and things like that. And so don't think when you see somebody that they just make it look easy. They got there with it being easy the whole time. When you watch an Olympic skater do like a simple flip or spin or something, like a one-off spin, you do know that the first time, the first time they tried to do that, they fell on their face. You know that the guy you watch do like a triple twist and slam dunk a basketball on some dude's head. The first time he shot a basketball at a rim, he probably couldn't even hit the rim. Everybody that makes it look easy sucked first, worked hard for it, and over time, by developing mastery and developing momentum, it begins to look easy. If you don't get that, you are going to fail. Not you might fail, you will fail. Because no matter how successful you're becoming, you won't appreciate your own success. It's not fast enough. It's not going good enough. It's not happening the way I expected it to. Here's the other thing. It's not going to happen the way that you expect it to. I was six months into doing the cast, and I told my wife I'm going to make it a full-time business. She said, well, how are you going to make money? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. I will. I said, I will let the business that's, that's growing like a child define its monetization strategy for me. Now, I have a great wife, and she'd seen me be successful more, so she said, okay. Do you know how much confidence it takes, though, in something you're doing to say, I'll let this thing become what it's becoming, and I'll just keep being a good father to it, and it'll tell me what it wants in time. That takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of time. Don't think that TSP was like my first rodeo with building something like this, and don't think that every of the other rodeos all paid off either. A lot of them failed. And that's the other thing you're going to have to accept. Your first business may be a spectacular success or a spectacular failure. If it's a failure, it's only because you chose not to learn. 
You chose not to learn. And you've wasted the most valuable lesson you could have gotten in life. There is a reason that it failed. But by the time you've accepted failure, you should know, like, well, how do I build a customer base? How do I build a social media presence? How do I build a marketing platform? How do I, what is the difference between marketing and advertising? What is my sales process for clothes? Like you should know so many things that by the way, if you go to college for a business degree, you're not going to learn. So if you lost 20 grand this year building a business and you've decided it was not the right business for you, you just got the cheapest insurance on the best MBA program you could ever have. But instead you're going to be a whiny little bitch and run off and say it didn't work. No, now you need to be like, okay, I got my diploma. Let's go again. Let's go again. Where is my real passion? How do I make this work? And if you make 20 grand back the next year and you're at a net zero, you've hit a home run already. And the only thing at that point that will prevent you from building a business that will eventually give you complete freedom from the systems is you pick the wrong sector and it crashes to the ground. That's always possible. That's always possible. Other than that, it's because you chose failure over success. You chose failure because failure, this is the big thing. Failure is always the easier path. Failure is always, 100% of the time, the easier path in the short term. It is much easier to go get a job driving a truck for Walmart, waiting tables, answering phones, programming computers. It is always much easier to fail than to succeed. Success is incredibly simple, but it's also incredibly hard. One of the big things people do is they mistake simplistic for easy. Simple means there's a formula to follow. You follow the formula consistently over time. You keep doing better, and you will get success. Building a fire is incredibly simple, right? If you know the basic process for building a fire with some tinder and all, and even if you know the full process but you've never done it before, the first time you try to build a fire, it probably won't go perfectly. But eventually, you'll learn the process. You'll have faith in the process. I remember teaching my son at first to build fires. And I was like, you have to have faith in the system. Instead of saying, this didn't work, so I'm going to go try something else. Thousands and thousands and thousands of human beings have built fires using this system. You need to learn the system, and then the system will work. And without faith in the system, you won't do it. And so... The other thing that kills people in irrational exuberance is you begin to have doubt in the product, in the service, in the concept itself. Well, maybe there's, you try to do a gun business. Maybe it's because there's too many people that already have gun businesses. You're going up against nothing fancier, Bill Hickok or whatever his name is, right? Um, well, yeah. You've, you've entered a competitive space. It's going to take time. The, the real thing is, though, I find most of the time when somebody thinks that's the problem, in a back way around it is. And, and what they've done is they've looked at somebody that's successful, and they say, I'm going to emulate them. But in a content business, that's, that's death. That's Why do I need you if you're just like this other person? That's like making a cryptocurrency by cutting and pasting code and giving it a name and getting a ticker symbol. If it works, it'll only be short term. So what would make me tune into somebody that would be firearms content is the person, not the firearm. Now, maybe I find them because I'm researching a particular firearm and I do a search and I find their video. But what would make me say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to subscribe to this guy. I'm going to check out his website. I'm going to follow him on Instagram or whatever, would be that the guy is unique. 
that his approach is unique. So when you're in a situation where you're, you're coming off all of this from that initial stage of irrational exuberance, you, you are so subject to letting self-doubt creep in at the product, the service, yourself, whatever. And at the same time, the hard balance is you're probably right to a degree. It's that you have to figure out which piece of that degree that you need to change, but you also need to not stop or give up unless you just really are in the wrong space. Like I am all for quitting things that make you miserable if they're always going to make you miserable. When I started this, about the same time, I was about six months into it, and I told my wife that I would uh, I would get there. And she believed me. And, and six months later, we were kind of there, but she was not happy. She was not happy because I was getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I was doing all my show work before I left the house. I was doing the show in my car. I was working in a, not a normal job, guys. I was a business partner to the guy I was working with. I would often not get home till eight or nine o'clock at night. And you might imagine at that point, you're pretty well spent and you're not the best man you can be. You're not the best father. You're not the best husband you can be. And I had told her I can do it in a year and I was financially to where I could do it. And my business partner said, I, I, I really don't want you to leave yet. We have a real problem with this one entity. Would you drop everything else? Take control of this one entity is our COO and fix it for me before you leave. And this man had been very good to me. And my response was yes. And I had to go home and tell my wife that. And then I had to look her in the eye and say, just give six more months and it will be worth it. So she had to live with that asshole that was working three to nine on totally divergent things for another six months. As you imagine, that might not be the easiest thing. But it took this I know we're going to get their reality to make it happen. The things that kill off potentially great businesses. Number one, and this is something that you will struggle with. You will struggle with. You will 100% struggle with if you've never run a business or you've never been at the operational level in a business before where somebody comes to you and goes, the numbers do not work, sir. This is on you. You fix it. If you've only had jobs where you go to work, you do your job, you punch a clock, metaphorically or accurately, actually, and you walk away, then this is going to happen. And you're going to have to struggle with it, and you're going to have to get past it. And it is equating action with work. Equating action with work. There are people that literally think they work eight hours for an employer because they were occupying a particular space for eight hours. Where if you said, you know what we're going to do, you know how you have the fitness watches or whatever they call them now, the Fitbits or whatever, and they tell you when you're walking, when you're sleeping, whatever. If we had a device on you that actually monitored how much work you did, maybe you did four hours worth of actual work. And here's the thing. Let's say that's not you. Let's say I was the guy that even when I was like 20-something years old packing you know, boxes in a warehouse, I worked till I sweat every day. That clock went beep. I started slamming boxes. And I outdid almost everybody around me, even in a shitty, menial job like that. I always worked hard. It doesn't matter. You're still equating action with with work, and you always think that what you're doing is more important than it is. And so what happens is people get into building a business, and they say, well, I put in uh, 20 hours last week. First of all, that's shit. Building a business 20 hours a week, that's shit. 
I'm sorry, it is. But did you? And if you go through, like, well, what are the things you think you did last week? And so sitting there staring at your screen, thinking, um, arguing with people on social media about things that really don't pertain to your business, like none of that actually counted. And in the beginning, most of your work is setting up systems, and those systems are designed to let you change your focus as well. So the other thing that happens is people do all this shit, like setting up email lists, automation rules, stuff like that, and you should be doing it, but they expect that to do something for them or to matter or somebody to care, somebody to give them a gold star, somebody to stamp their paycheck and sign off, and you get paid this week. Now you get nothing. Now that you've set up this base, now the real work begins of actually marketing and selling and letting the system do the thing. So your first month, very conceivably, has no immediate ROI to it in a content-based business. Now, if you're out doing a handyman business like Tim Toolman or something like that, you need to be getting some customers. I don't care if you have to knock on doors and beg for your first customers. But a lot of times what you're setting up is you're setting up automated employees, My business has automated employees. When I put out content, a lot of things happen that reach lots and lots of people, far more than I'll ever reach in a live video, for instance. And they cause other things to occur. Now, all of that was automation built in in the first couple of months of the show. And then new things come along and those get integrated. But it's it, it, it will kill you. The next is thinking success will come if I just keep doing And I put in parentheses with that bullet point because, um, I'm sorry, things that are not working. So I, I, I used to, in my sales talks, use Shaquille O'Neal as an example of this. And I, I know he got better at free throws, but hear me out. This is when the guy, like there was the hack-a-shack, was actually a, uh, a defensive strategy by the Dallas Mavericks that every time Shaq would touch the ball inside the paint, he just, he just fouled him because he was so bad at free throws that he was always going to end up with less points that way in the total of the game. It got so bad that Shaq came on the, the floor at, at Maverick Stadium wearing a clown nose, right, to, to kind of like make a joke about it and, and to say, hey, what's up, guys? Well, the thing was Shaq knew he sucked at free throws, so he would practice free throws. But if you watch the man shoot a free throw, No matter how good of a basketball player was, you saw why he sucked. He had no arc. He had a straight ball. It wasn't his, it wasn't his thing. That distance shot, particular shot was not his thing. It was not, not what made him great. So he practiced bad. So he got better at being bad. And so one of the things is you get the irrational exuberance going that I'm talking about, but you're doubling down on the things that aren't working. And often what really will kill you is if you look at what that person's doing, you go, this thing you're spending 20% of your time on is actually working. This thing that you think is really important doesn't do shit. You need to eliminate this and do mostly that. And it's a very hard thing for people to see. And it's, it's why business consulting can work if it's done by the right person and the, and they have the, the consultant has the right student. Because I, I prefer to think of that relationship as a consultant and student relationship than a consultant client relationship. And the reason is the same thing that causes you not to be able to find your own property after you take a permaculture design course, but you can walk over to your friend's house and just lay it out. You get so 
focused on your own thing and you become convinced that your thing is different than everything else. And so it takes a lot to recognize that. But you, you really need to figure out things that are not successful and stop putting your energy there and balance it with, but this thing could be successful. And it's hard. And it's supposed to be. Next, um, it's always easier to take time off, give yourself a break, than to power through. It's always easier when it's 8 o'clock at night and you worked until 5 and you legitimately got home and went back to work for yourself, and it's been two hours, and you're like, you know what, I've done enough this week. I just And, and there's a place for that. But it's always easier, which means you're always predisposed to do it. And you get a lot of that in the beginning. People that build businesses that don't have jobs, right? Because I'm kind of t- coming at this, most of my audience has a job, and want a business. I wouldn't say most want a business, but most of the people in my audience that want a business already have a job. You have to think about people that build businesses that don't have jobs and how much time they put in and how often they fail. And then you realize that, you know, if you're dedicating 40 hours a week to a job, that you're going to end up working 80 and you're still working less hours on your business than the person dedicated to a business getting it off the ground. Doesn't mean you can't succeed, but it means that you don't, you don't get that, you don't get that rest, I deserve a break button much in the beginning. You, and, and the thing is, you have to, you have to look at it like light hours. Here's another analogy for you. So we look at Alaska and say, holy crap. How do they grow food up there? You know, it's like half the year it's it's mostly dark. Well, half the year it's mostly light. They actually get the same number of hours. They just get long duration hours and then short duration hours, where if you're more toward the tropics, you get a much more kind of even distribution throughout the year. But here's the cool thing. Every square inch of our planet gets the same amount of sunlight in total hours per annual. And so some of it's banked differently. When you are getting started, you are banking time today so that you have more free time tomorrow. But it's a hell of a trade. It takes a lot of work to bank enough hours into an operational system to be able to back off. I'm now 14 and a half years into a podcast. And I work probably all in hardcore real work 30 hours a week. Now, when I had a job and no podcast, I was probably working 80 a lot of weeks, probably aggregate average about 70 hours a week. I make more money. I'm a lot nicer of a person, a lot healthier of a person. I'm a lot happier of a person. I have a lot more freedom as a, as a human being. But it took a lot of misery to get here. If you're out of shape and you want to get muscular, you're going to have to hurt. You're going to have to be sore. I mean, people say, you know, you shouldn't hurt when you're exercising. You shouldn't hurt in type of injury, but anybody that's ever started pounding iron knows, like, you're going to, if you're doing it right, your muscles are going to ache. You're going to have that last rep that somebody has to give a couple ounces of spot to you to get up. And if you don't do it, you won't get the result. It's the same thing. No pain, no gain, bro. And that's, it, it's true at the gym and it's true in building a business. And, 
I think the other thing that hurts people way too much is aiming too low. I have built a multi-six-figure income by running a podcast. It could be bigger. I'd have to have employees and a staff, and I don't want it. And so that's a conscious decision to aim lower than what's possible. But I know why I'm doing it. It's not because I can't. I think so many people come out of the gate, and they're like, well, I want to run a business. And if you're setting a goal, I want to get to making 500 bucks a week. And if I make 500 bucks a week, I can survive and I can build it bigger, okay, that's a step stone. I always tell people, I want to make a hundred grand a year. Well, let's figure out how to make you a dollar. Because you have to make a dollar before you can make two, and you have to make two before you can make three. So there's a place, step stone mentality. But your overall vision, make sure you're shooting high enough. So many people come out of the gate, and what they're saying is, you know, if I could just make a couple extra hundred dollars a month with my YouTube videos from AdSense, for instance, that all, you know, that'll be worth having. But then what happens when it gets hard? When you need to do that extra bit of work this week and you don't really want to and it's easier not to. Well, since your dream is, uh, I, I can pay off my credit card debt a little faster. How much motivation is there? But if you're like, I want to make more money per year on my own terms than I've ever made before in my life. Then, then what's the motivation when that, that, that soul crushing moment comes? When you hit the wall like a runner, that's when you go through the other side of it. When your goal is I want to make more money in a month, at least one month this year than prior to this year I've ever made in a year. Or at least I want to make more money in a month than the average person in the country makes in a year. When you, and, What is your goal? I don't know. What is your, I don't care what it is, but damn, don't shoot too low. Shoot high enough that the carrot at the end of that stick in front of you is enough to keep you going when shit gets hard because it's going to get hard. You're going to want to quit. You're going to have people in your life telling you to quit. You know, everybody thinks that like when you really start building a business and getting successful, people will cheer you on. I'll tell you who will cheer you on, your customers your followers, your fans, whatever it is for you. The people around you in your daily life that don't buy from you, they're not going to cheer you on. Misery loves company. And a lot of times when people are being just flat out demotivational to you, they think they're helping. They don't do it to be an asshole. They they look at it and go, well, this is never going to happen for this guy. He would be just much happier. They think they're helping you, and they're not. They think they're helping, and they're not. And you just have to shoot high enough. Now, let's give you some things that actually make a business successful instead of just the hard parts. There's really four things, and only four, that every successful business does. Now, there's a lot more things that many successful businesses do. But you take one of these away, and you do not have and you never have a successful business. Number one, every successful business is in some way good at marketing. Okay? They market. And it's important, what does it mean? What does marketing mean? So there's, you know, people have degrees in marketing, and it, it, to them it means going to a spreadsheet and figuring out who bought what when. Marketing is actually a very simple concept. And when I used to work with the gentleman I mentioned earlier, Neil Franklin, I came up with two definitions in the training that we did for salespeople. And I, I was I was very proud of the fact that a man that won the, the Branson Award is in Richard Branson, uh, 
told me what you've done is amazing. He said, you created the two very most complex concepts for business. And you've drilled them down to absolute definitions. And the way Neil described absolute definition was once you have it, you don't need anything else to understand it. You're done. And any attempt to go further with it instead of just take it and run with it just dilutes the certainty of the definition. And he said you took two concepts like that and you broke them down to three words each, six words. And marketing is telling a story. If you can tell a story... You can market. Every marketing concept that's ever put out, that's ever successful in some way tells a story. Whether it's some sort of stupid little TikTok video, whether it's long-form sales writing, I don't care what it is. The marketing component of it transfers a story from you to the other side. And the only purpose, people say sales and marketing like they are a single thing. They're individual, separate disciplines. The only purpose of marketing is by telling the story, you create interest. That's all your job is with marketing. Create interest and then funnel that interest into some sort of a process. Filling out a form to get more information, making a phone call, following somebody on social media, subscribing to their YouTube channel and hitting the button. That's all marketing is. It's nothing more than that. And the second you try to make marketing into sales, you will fuck up your marketing. Because now you're, you're confused. It's like saying, well, I'm going to do an incision and a suture as a surgeon. They're separate processes. Imagine you're doing the incision while you're trying to suture it at the same time. You're going to screw it up, and you're going to get sued, right? And you should because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing, and you shouldn't be a doctor if you did that. And no one would ever think that made sense, right? You, you keep the separate separate. So marketing, we tell a story. Sales, giant books written on sales, huge courses. You want sales defined in three words? Transfer of belief. That is all. That is it. If you transfer a belief in a product or a service or a thing from yourself to your customer, to your prospective customer, right? You've interested them with marketing. They look to know more. Then you transfer the belief. You're going to get a high percentage of those that will convert to sales. Because here's how it's going to work out. I transfer the belief to you. You believe what I believe, and you see value in the thing, and you have money. You're going to probably buy it. I transfer the belief to you. You believe it, but it doesn't really work for you. You don't buy it. I wasn't going to sell it to you anyway unless I was a liar. You see, the beauty of these two definitions in being pure is that they work great for the customer you should have or the follower you should have. They're not real good as tips and tricks. They're simple, ethically bound concepts. I want to be able to tell you a story and then transfer a belief into you, and then you will become my customer. So I will tell you the story of your own life in my podcast. That's really what I do. And where you're weak and where you could be stronger. I will tell you stories from my background, my past, my guest stories, etc. That will make you interested. You'll dig in deeper. And then I'll transfer a belief to you like, do you know what? If you bought my membership, you'll get your money back if you buy shit from the people that I have discounts from. And if I transfer that belief to you and you're like, you know what? I would probably do enough business to get my money back. It almost becomes you have to like you're going to leave anyway because you have to not like me to not buy my membership at that point. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you become a member of a, of a, of a service for 50 bucks a year 
that saves you $150 a year. It doesn't even make any sense from an economic standpoint. So you transfer that belief and you gain that customer. Or I transfer the belief. You can trust my product recommendations. Use TSPAS. And so you use it, and then every time you use it and it works out, the belief level goes up, and the ability for me to sell again as an affiliate goes higher with you. That's the inner workings of everything that I really do. You earn trust, and you continue to earn trust, and you don't break trust. But if you don't get people to pay attention, it doesn't matter how ethical, moral, right up you are. My view is any business transaction that I'm part of, if I think back to my grandma, both my grandmas are gone now, but either of my grandmas, they're both wonderful, wonderful women. Neither ever had a ton of money. I would want, if I met somebody that made me think of my grandmother that said they bought something at my recommendation to feel, still feel good about it. If I wouldn't feel good about selling it to my grandmother, I wouldn't feel good about selling it to you. And it is these two things. All I can do is tell my story and transfer belief I actually have that keeps my business centered that way. And that's why I always have confidence in myself and my business. And I go, if I get it wrong, I'll just say I was wrong. And that people will forgive me being wrong because you can't ever be 100% right all the time. The ability to build and retain a customer base. If you always need to educate the next customer, if you have no repeat business, you're never going to be a successful business. You're going to be an as-seen-it-on-TV product. You can make a ton of money, but it will never be sustainable. It will never be sustainable. It will always be some new thing. So a customer base is the most important thing. That's why Paul Wheaton and I talked so much last week about me on his shit about you need an email list. An email list is a database of people who have done business with you. And it's also a mix of people who have thought about doing business with you. When one company buys another company, I can't be more clear about this. When the acquisition is an intelligent acquisition, the, the buyer didn't do it out of spite or something like that or to quash competition. They actually said, we want to buy this company because we believe that we can make more money by buying it than not buying it. They are buying before anything else, before patents, product, manufacturing process. They're buying a customer base. They're buying a customer base. It's the most valuable thing you get in the acquisitions business. If I buy a company and that company has a 500,000 uh, customer base, then all I have to do is say, based on what we already do, what this company I've acquired does, what can I add that I can also sell to these people? That's so much easier than getting a new customer. So if you're making a knife sharpener that doesn't work, where you can put it on TV and have a guy cut a, a, a shoe, a tin can, and a tomato with it, you can sell a lot of that, but you will not have a successful business. You will have a successful campaign. And I'm not here to teach you how to build a successful campaign today. I'm here to teach you how to build a successful, long-term, sustainable business that continues to make you money. One of the reasons that you're so able to earn more money with a business than with a job is when I wake up on Saturday morning and see that 10 of my members renewed, while I slept, I made money. When I don't check my email on Saturdays and Sundays, which I barely do anymore, by the way, and I, I get up and I, Monday morning I come into my office and I look at my email and I see orders and conversions and affiliate sales. I made money all weekend long while I sat out on the porch 
and drank a couple of glasses of wine with my wife. I don't apologize for that. That's what I'm trying to teach you how to do today. Right? Now, where did that come from? That came from all of this previous work. So if you, if you're able to earn money while you're not working, what does it mean? You did the work in the past. Again, that's why this is so hard. But so far we have every successful business has at least these four things. And the ones we've covered so far is they have the ability to market, the ability to convert into sales, right? You have to be able to convert the interest into dollars and the ability to build and retain a customer base. If you don't build your business to have those three things, you do not have a sustainable business. So what does that mean? If you're a YouTube content creator and all your money comes from YouTube ads, I don't care how much money you make, somebody at Google can go, I don't like this guy's face. Click, and you're gone. And your whole income is wiped out. I was in my YouTube account today, and it said, you have had 28% less views this month. And I'm like, what the hell? Why? And it said, because YouTube has sent you 28% less traffic through referrals, because it actually tells you why. So somebody, some, something at YouTube changed in search, and so the recommending, recommended views by YouTube went down. But yet, I have pretty good attendance every day to these live streams. Why? Because I go out to all my social media and my email list and my Telegram and say, hey, I'm going to be on. So I have a relationship with you outside of YouTube's control. We call that a customer base, guys. We call that a customer base. And without that, even if you're doing well, you could be turned off. And that way I can continue to use a product like YouTube, a service like YouTube, because it benefits me. But if they shut me off tomorrow, my business is not gone. You know, it would suck. I, I make between 500 and a thousand bucks a month on YouTube. I like that money, but I don't need it. And if I wasn't doing YouTube, I could probably make at least that much other ways. And if I didn't think it was feeding into other ways right now, I wouldn't even do it. If I wasn't able to multitask with it, do this and, and this video creates the podcast that will be out less than an hour after I'm done with almost no editing, I wouldn't do it. It's because it all aligns together. But unless you control that customer database, you have jack diddly squat and no one would ever buy your business from you. No one would ever buy your business because they know it. And no one with means would buy your business anyway. Now, the last thing. they mu You must, obviously, you have to be able to sell. But you also have to be selling a product, a service, or both. All successful businesses have the ability to market, to sell, to build and retain a customer base, and they are selling, actively selling a product or service or both. And it's important that we know what we're selling. So what are you selling if you are a YouTube creator and your primary revenue is YouTube ads? What are you selling? You're not selling whatever is in the ad, really, right? You're selling yourself and your knowledge and your entertainment. So you're selling a service. You're a service-based business. Now, if you're smart and you're running a YouTube channel and you make good money from the ads, you don't not take the money. Of course you take the money. But let's say you create a gizmo, a gadget, a product. You're now you have a service and a product, and you're, you're using collateral to sell. What is, what is Nicole Sauce selling when she makes a YouTube video? This is actually really important to understand. She's selling her brand. She's selling 
her podcast a service. She's selling her coffee. She's selling her workshops, just like I do. She's selling whatever membership program she has. She's selling herself. How many things are you selling? It's this function stacking, i.e. permaculture. If you're selling one thing in one medium, you're doing it wrong. Because whether you're aware of it or not, you are selling more than one thing. But unless you're aware of it, you won't do it well. See how, see how you can take very simple concepts that are actually very complex, but when we get down to selling a product or a service of both, there's really only three things we can be selling within that. We're selling because it's profitable. And profitable can be money, or I just feel that I got more value than I put in. So if you were looking for a new machine, and that machine could do work for your business, and you bought it, and that machine then replaced an employee, even though it didn't directly profit you, you now have a higher a higher margin on your product and service. Or if it let your employee work more efficiently. If you're John Willis and people are sewing tactical gear, and somebody came out with like super badass sewing equipment, way better than anybody's ever had before, you might invest in that, but you're not investing in it because you like the guy that made it. You better be able to actually stitch more gear better or you're not going to buy it because it's not profitable. So there's that kind of problem. There's also, if I am selling a how-to course on how to market your business, when I sell you that information, you believe the value of the information outweighs the cost in fiat dollars or Bitcoin you're sending me as, as a cost. So there's some form of a profit. If I'm selling a diet program that actually works and you lose weight and you feel better, you profited. Right now, as I start giving you the other two, you're going to start saying it could be both. Good, good. That's really important. It's really important that it could be both. The more that it is, the better, because the better you can tell your story and convert your sales. So it's either profitable to the customer or life changing to the customer. Not only did I in some way directly benefit, my life is better now. So when you send me an email and go, Jack, you know, uh, I, I'm, I stress out a lot less I'm physically healthier. When we had a disaster happen locally, it didn't really matter to me. I didn't really, that's life changing. When you sell a diet program and somebody's not fat anymore, trust me, it's life changing. So we have profit, we have life changing, and then we have educational. People buy any product or service for one of those three reasons, and you can try to break this, and I'll say, but that's profitable. You can try, and I'll say, well, that's, that's, that's educational. Right? Because if it's entertainment instead of education, well, then you profited or you've had your life changed in some way. When you buy a ticket to listen to a comic and you laugh really hard and you get all those endorphins in your body, on some level, your life's a little bit better. Plus, you enjoyed yourself, so that was profitable. And if you can get all three of them, if you can roll out a product that a person that they buy it feels that I have profited by doing business here, right? My life is better because of it. And I learned something. You got what I call the golden trifecta of product marketing. And it's almost impossible to succeed unless you choose to fail. Once you've built something like that, because you have to ask yourself, why wouldn't a person invest in something that made their life better, taught them something, and was profitable.
And the answer is because you sold it poorly or you marketed it poorly. Those are the only two answers to that question. Or there was a product that did it better. So then all you have to do is fix your product. But you don't necessarily fix your product. If you market a product that maybe somebody somewhere made something that's a little bit better, but you market it more effectively and you sell it more effectively. You don't think that's true? <laughs> how, how many, how many different versions? Like this is a little, uh, Bluetooth, uh, earpieces made by Anchor. How many different versions, how many different brands of this product are there that are successful brands and successful businesses? Don't they all pretty much do the same thing? What, what does Anchor do? For those that know, I've talked about Anchor a lot. Anchor makes a product that's as good or at least close to as good as really expensive brands, and then they stand behind it, and if something's effed up, they replace it without questioning it. And that makes them one of the most successful electronics value brands out there. It's why I recommend them. So is there a better product than this? Hell, Anchor makes a better product than this. This is the best product at the price point for what I was looking for when I bought it. That's why I bought it. Did it change my life? Not really. Did it teach me anything? Not really. But it was profitable to me because now I can listen to shit when I'm working uh, without having a wire in the way. That's how it profited me, you know. And I want to finish up with, I said that I would tell you why it's good that building a business is hard. Why you go through all this shit to build a business. Why, why, it's, why it's worth it, but it wouldn't be if it wasn't hard. So I want you to think about something. What makes a thing valuable? There's more than one answer. But one of the first answers is things are valuable because they're rare. So, and the more rare a thing is, it will trend toward being more valuable. But that's not the only thing. The thing also has to have a function, a use, and be desirable. So people have to want it. So you can say, well, I have the only one of, I don't know, these things right here. This is a backup charge. Also like an anchor product. It really, it's like a T-Spaz catalog in my house. I really do. So th if this was the only one of these and it charged iPhones or any device and it was the only one that you could get that did that, it would probably sell for a lot more than the fact that they make millions of these things. Yeah. So a thing becomes more valuable if it does something that people desire and it's rare. Think about if you live in a place where blueberries grow crazy good in the wild. Would the best thing to put in be a blueberry farm? If you were going to sell to locals during the harvest season, probably not. But if you were going to sell to locals and you were going to grow stuff and the locals loved blueberries... And they came and went for the season and you could go on a longer time cycle. Yeah. Because then you would have blueberries when they're not readily available. But if you were going to sell just a little bit outside of the region, well, then it would even be more valuable because they don't have natively growing blueberries there. On top of it, though, if blueberries grew everywhere around you, would anybody where you live buy blueberries? Well, sure they would. Because some people wouldn't want to go out and pick them. But then the value would only exist during the time that they were available and it would then, then the ability to, to just pick and sell would go down 
but the value of the product will go up. Things are valuable because they're rare and they have utility at the same time. They have a function. So what if it was easy to build a business? What if anybody could just build a business? Anybody could do it. Then everybody would do it. We'd have market saturation everywhere. And we would go from a standpoint of people can make really good livings with business to you might as well be employed. Because nobody would want to be employed because it's easy to build a business. And the value of owning a business would go down. The fact that you can build something that operates for you while you sleep needs to be hard because if everybody could do it, everybody would do it. And we would deval. So think about it like, what is a job that anybody is qualified to do? Anybody, you know, that won't stab their coworkers, will show up on time, knows how to put clothes on and not smell bad. Like, it's a very low threshold job, right? How about working as a cashier at a grocery store? I'm not putting you down if you do it. I'm just saying, like, the training necessary to perform that function is not that high, right? What about uh, digging holes? What about working in an, a factory environment where basically you screw two things together on an assembly line all day or pack boxes, Right. And there might be people that are a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit more efficient that might on a piecework deal make a little bit more money. But what do all these types of jobs have in common? They don't pay shit. They do not pay well. Any job that has a very low threshold of being able to be qualified for it pays poorly relative to jobs that are highly specialized. You have a job, you work on a computer every day. Will you make a lot of money or a little bit of money? Well, what do you do? If I work on a computer every day, I mean, I sit on the phone and I go, hello, this is Jack with Jack's Emporium. How may I direct your call, sir? Oh, Mr. Smith, he's in a meeting right now. Can I put you through to his voicemail? Okay, so I can train that guy to do that job in what, a week? What is that job going to pay? Guy looks just like the same guy, right? He's sitting behind a computer. Maybe he's got a headset on, right? But he's a high-level software services support technician that customers pay to even be able to talk to. He's not a, have you tried turning it on and turning it off, guy? He's got, let me get into your system. Okay, sir, yeah, I see that there. Uh, let's reset these and, and like that. Do you think he makes more money? Another guy looks just like him. He's got a headset because he likes to listen to radio or at a reasonable volume with his headphones while he's working, but he's not Milton from Office Space. He's the guy that builds the software. Who makes the most money in that group of three? Okay. We all know it's the guy that builds the software, right? It's the software engineer that actually can build the cutting-edge software. So who makes the most money? The guy that's rare. But when you... Apply this to business, doesn't the same dynamic play out? The businesses that anybody can run will always be somewhat limited in what they can do unless the person doing the business is exceptional. So can you make money picking up dog shit? The answer is yes. There are people that make a hundred thousand grand a year picking up dog turds. They go to richy rich neighborhoods and they say, I will come twice a week and I'll pick up all your dog shit. And they charge a fee for it. 
Some of them even go further. They're like, they put, there's actually these little mini dog septic tanks, right? And you can put the dog septic tank in. So when you pick the dog shit up, you don't even take it away. You just put it in the little septic tank. Well, why wouldn't Karen put the dog poo in the septic? She doesn't want to. And she doesn't believe in teaching a work ethic to her kid and saying, hey, kid, if you want the dog, you got to pick up the dog crap. So they pay you to do it. But what's going to happen in that kind of a business? If you are a one-off doing that, you're going to be fundamentally limited. But if you know what you're doing, you're going to build that into a process, and you're going to hire people for 12 bucks an hour to pick up dog shit. That's what you're going to do, and that's how you're going to scale. So the person that can pick up the shit is very mundane, very common. It might as well just be a job. But the person that can structure dog shit into a business instead of making a hundred grand a year, working 80 hours a week into a business that they can run and operate and make a half a million dollars a year and eventually sell it off to somebody else, that person's rare. Being a business must be difficult. Building a business must be difficult or it's not even worth doing. Nothing worth doing is easy. Nothing worth doing is easy. So you should rejoice that building a business is hard. You should rejoice that only the person that is willing to sacrifice will eventually have the business that will become what they really want it to be. Because that means if you do it, your place is relatively secure. Now, again, you can be into a business. Let's say you're heavily leveraged into real estate and the entire real estate market takes a shit and you didn't properly hedge against that when you went into it. You can get wiped out. It happens to people. You know what happens to most of those people, though? They end up going back into real estate and rebuilding in a new environment. Because they've learned the business. So you can have, you can be in a, if you were in a business, right, and what you were selling was uh, rentals for DVDs, and you had independent rental shops for DVDs all over the place. Once streaming came in, you were all but going to go away over time. Especially when the few people that still rent DVDs can get them out of a red box or what have you. So that, that can happen. But otherwise, if there's still a niche for you to occupy, and you build success, you're pretty sturdy in that niche. Because the person that can come in and actually do it too and truly compete with you is rare. Not they don't exist. Not they can't take some business from you. But it's not and, and this is the this is the biggest thing I want to give you today, guys. Whatever business you're in, on some level, you should build brand association with it that is very unique and very special. Because anybody can make a podcast. Nobody can make the survival podcast with me. Anybody can make a T-shirt with a cool-looking AR on it. Only John Willis and SOE Gear can make one that represents SOE Tactical Gear and represents everything that John has become with his social media presence. Anybody can make coffee. Only Nicole Sauce can make hollow roast coffee. Having the, And it doesn't need to be an individual thing. If you want to sell your business, it's better that it's not a personal brand. It's better that it is a quality of brand. It is a quantification of brand, what this brand represents. If you want an exit strategy to sell a business, because otherwise they want to buy your likeness and you end up being famous Amos. I won't get into that today, but it is a very sad story what happened to the real famous Amos. He ended up selling away his likeness for the rest of his life, and he has nothing now because anybody can make a cookie. That was the thing that meant the most. Charles the Humble Mechanic, very successful business. Those talks and things like that, right? I think I think you're still doing that, Charles, right? Like like where people will have you come in and talk to like an audience or whatever, like for a fee. 
Well, you know why? Because anybody can make a video channel that's about being a mechanic and cars and things like that. There's hundreds of them. But nobody else can be humble mechanic. He owns that now. He owns that brand. If you don't do that, if you don't, do, yeah, here's Hunter's, right? Hunter says, um, like finding Val in TV shows. Yeah, the fact that, like, uh, was it Night Sky or whatever, the Amazon? It's a really cool show. I can't wait till the second season comes back, right? Like, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I started getting emails and emails and emails. The, the Val logo is in this, this Amazon series and it's on a door. And people are like, no, it's on a sign. It was in both places. Or we were actually in, uh, was it CBS, CBS or NBC? Whoever did Sherlock. The Val logo is in an episode of Sherlock that was on mainstream television. That can only be me. And that's why when people see it, they're like, that's jack shit right there. That, that is why you want it to be hard because getting that to happen is not easy, guys. I, I think what we literally have with TSP is we have some, some props person somewhere that puts bread. I'm sure there's places that it's been that we've not, nobody's told me yet, right? That's hard. And it can, you can never take that from somebody. That's what you have to build. Put that personal stamp on it. Let it mean something. With that, I'll wrap things up. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, I did mention today, right, that one of the things that I do is, uh, is recommend product to service. And when I do that, you know, you can, uh, you know, you can trust the recommendation. Well, here's one I got for you today. And you can always help us out by doing your online shopping starting where? tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You'll see everything I've ever recommended. Product categories in alphabetical order. You can drill down. If you ever want a product recommendation, email me, right? Jack at the survival podcast.com. See, I gave you the email there. I've done it many times. Uh, TSPC in the subject line. Tell me what you're looking for. This product I have been recommending for years. And whenever I do the food canning, police come out and start freaking out. It is the Nesco Carry Smart Pressure Canner. It's had some names back and forth as one company bought the other. This is an electric canner that will do canning of things, including meats, other low-acid foods under pressure canning, four quarts at a time, and it's electric. It will also brown. It will slow cook. It will pressure cook. It does all the other things. It's like an Instapot that's better and does pressure canning. And I... Found out today, actually, I found out Friday, and it made it through the weekend. So it's on sale right now. It's 60 bucks off. Uh, it's normal price. It's selling for like 110 bucks right now, and they're in stock, and it's a great gift as well. This will be one of those products you will find profitable and a little bit life-changing in what it can do for you. I use mine all the time. Um, sometimes I use it just to tenderize certain things that take a long time to cook otherwise, like ribs. So I'll do ribs in it till they're tenderized, and then I'll take them and finish them on the grill with some smoke and some sauce and things like that and firm them back up a little bit. But people have always said, but Jack, you're going to kill people. Don't you understand? You can't have a pressure canner that's electric. And when you say, why not? They don't know. The National Canning Institute has an article that was published before this thing, any of these new electric canners ever existed. So I don't care what they think. It has multiple failure fail-safes in it. You're probably more likely to screw something up with a regular pressure canner than this. It works just great. 
please consider adding one. And if you've been looking to get this thing, but you didn't want to spend 160, 170 bucks on it, a buck 10 today and it's yours. But you can always find everything I recommend at tspaz.com. With that wrapped up, I want to let you guys know tomorrow we have a Bitcoin breakout episode. I do not have a guest. I'm going to do a show. I haven't decided on the, t- the title yet, but it's going to be something along the lines of stacking sats will never be this easy again. And I'm going to tell you, like, right now, like, if you, like, one day I'm going to figure it out. You better figure your shit out now. It ain't that hard because it's not going to get any easier. Wednesday, I got a great guest coming up for you. Thursday, we'll probably do a Just Jack show on some sort of topical thing because you guys like that, Friday Expert Council. But tomorrow, not only will I be doing Bitcoin Breakout because they'll be like, I don't like Bitcoin. Okay, fine. Stay poor. That's fine. Uh, anyway, no, seriously. If you don't, you don't. I, I don't ever browbeat anybody into doing anything. Um But tomorrow I will also be on the air with John Willis and Nicole Sauce, I think starting at 9.30 or 10.30 in the morning. I remember, I think it's 9.30. And we will be doing our our weekly Tuesday coffee chat, early morning chat. And so that will be live streaming as well on my channel, John's channel, and Nicole's channel. And, yes, I guarantee, even though I haven't talked to them about the agenda yet, we will talk about Paul Pelosi and all this controversy going on. I have some interesting input on that. And we'll talk about a lot of other crazy stuff that's going on in the world. And so those of you that were waiting to hear about that today, not today. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Catch you then, guys. It's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? said you should have a house the American way a dollar down a dollar a month and you never have to pay there's a better way to do this let me show you a better way Show.